Leash Today Talking Sport podcast, brought to you in association with Booth Concrete. Booth Concrete provide high-quality concrete products to Leash and the surrounding counties. Thinking concrete, think Booth Concrete. When quality matters. Hello and welcome to the Leash Today Talking Sport podcast. This is episode four of our Rugby World Cup series. I'm Mark Comerford, as usual, with Alan Hartnett and Stephen Miller. And lads, we're here today to talk about Ireland's massive win over South Africa. Did we enjoy it? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it seemed a big smirky head in Alan, the rugby hater there. But no, look. <laughs> well, Alan, Alan had more important things, apparently, with Man United playing one of the newly promoted nothing teams where we barely scraped a win. But anyway, we won't talk about Man United too much. Um... The Ireland-South Africa game had the biggest TV audience of the year. 1.2 million people watched it on RTE. And I think there was over a quarter of a million or more watching it on uh, the RTE player as well. Um, God loved them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I was forced to watch it on the player as well. And I watched it with my son. And he watched the last 10 minutes with his head buried in the couch. He couldn't bear to watch the last 10 minutes. It was too close. Yeah, you were like, what, seven, Mark? He's eight. He's eight, same age as my fella. My fella, like, you know, Ireland, we beat South Africa and they're the world champions. And, like, this is the thing that I get the, the naysayers giving out about Ireland celebrating and it's only a pool win and, and whatnot. And there is an element to that. Like, it is only a pool win. Ireland were definitely going to be in it. Well, more than likely going to be in a quarterfinal regardless of what happened. But, like, for that group of players or a lot of those group of players, like, I can't say it to my lad. He said, oh, hold on now a second. 12 years ago, we beat Australia. In the in uh, in in the pool game, and we still got bet by uh, Wales in the quarter final. Everyone has to be allowed to enjoy these particular moments in, in the time, and that was a significant win. Like yes, it was only a pool game, and you have to keep that in mind. But like, it was ferocious. There were they, a lot of things went wrong for Ireland, and um, they were under nine when it finished. So it was a thrilling, thrilling win. Prime TV audience. This is these are the type of games that bring in the non-traditional rugby supporters or the, or the sort of the casual fans. And what a way to do it. Did, as people, you know, you'd be sore, you'd be sore getting up after watching it on TV. Like, <laughs> you know, and you know that that team have given absolutely everything. And that's all you can um, hope for in any sport. You, you never feel short-changed after a match like that. And it was a tremendous, tremendous win. So many good individual parts that they were lucky. You know, South Africa left a lot behind them. But like Ireland, Ireland's line-out more or less malfunctioned, particularly in the first half. And and that's a key area of the game, and and they still managed to, to to win in those circumstances against a very good team. Hopefully, like the reality is, Ireland are going to have to play New Zealand at a quarter final. Okay, no New Zealand aren't good, but they're still New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, if if you can't if you can't enjoy and celebrate beating the world champions, regardless of it being a group stage, what's the point of sport? I mean, that was a phenomenal game, easily the best game of the tournament so far, and. You know, 1.5 million people saw us win and we damn sure deserve to celebrate, I think. And that led to huge controversy again because <laughs> Zombie was played at the end. And you can't have a song played in Ireland without somebody getting upset over something. Um, well, Alan, you take all there. The whole thing's absolutely ridiculous. I never heard any such nonsense in my life. I can't understand it. I just don't understand it. But it's like, they even had... I see me Hall Martin on something talking about it. Like it's 
like, Jesus Christ, like, it's there's nothing else going on in the country. Like, I mean, waters of divine God, who cares what they sing? It's like the same thing with the with the women team when they sang Cel- Celtic Symphony and they all gave out over that. Wasn't there another song not too long ago that, that people had a problem with as well? Jesus Christ. It's like when the people went to the picnic and they had a problem over them all going to the world tour. <laughs> Just get over it. Waters of God, what they're, I think it's great, isn't it? Isn't it nice? The Brits or the English, wherever they sing Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, it's not some big war song about like whatever. So, I no, I think it's great, and it's it's uh, I love that song, it's a brilliant song, it's a fantastic song, it's a fantastic yeah. song, and it there's good um motive behind it, and like it shouldn't even be a topic of conversation. Like, I th- 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 there was a very good piece on the journal.ie by Tom Savage, who runs the, the Three Red Kings podcast, predominantly a Munster rugby podcast, but it covers Ireland and all that. And he gave the full background as to how Zombie became a rugby song. And it started in, in uh, it started in Munster in Tolman Park, like, and nobody batting an eyelid. And, uh, yeah. like, there's some fella, some fella obviously then, um, you know, the crowd looking after the entertainment in the Stade de France says, oh, they said they played it in the earlier games as well. And there was no controversy at that stage. So he said, oh, we'll play that one. Or maybe he Googled a good Irish song to play for rugby supporters or something like that. And this is what he got. So, like, then you have these absolute liberal gobshites on radio shows and newspaper columns going on about what does it mean and the greater significance of it, looking for, like, this sort of cultural... Um, significance of it, and you think it's a group of people. Most of them on the beer out there have an absolutely brilliant win in a throbbing game of rugby, and they put on a song that is very has a great sing along part to it, and the place goes absolutely mental and sings along. Now, I will hazard a guess if that same fella in the Stade de France happened to stumble upon Joe Dolan and Me Oh My or something and stuck it on the speaker, the place still would have went mental. But then you'd have people giving up because you can't be saying, oh, me, oh, my, you know, <laughs> such a good looking woman or something. <laughs> so. It was the same. It was the same when we won the Six Nations and they played Freed from Desire and everyone was like, oh, can we, have we not got a more modern song we could play? <laughs> Lad, as Shane Byrne said during the week, sometimes a good tune is just a good tune. Exactly. You don't need to be reading into what music we're playing to celebrate winning a match. It's ridiculous. And if people want to know, uh, Dolores O'Riordan was interviewed about it in 1994. And she said the song is not about the North of Ireland. It's about the death of a child, three-year-old boy. It happens to be in the in, in the context of the North situation, but it could have been anywhere in Bosnia because the war was going on in Bosnia at that stage. It's not about politics. It's about love. Just leave kids alone. That's all, that's all it was about. So people going on reading into all this other stuff and it's, Ridiculous, carry on. Ridiculous. Irish rugby doesn't have a great history with songs now, to be fair. Like we mentioned before, them playing the Rose of Tralee as the anthem in 1987. And then they brought out Ireland's Call, which I have absolutely no problem with Ireland's Call whatsoever. People detest but, that now. I don't I don't like that now either, I will admit. I don't like Ireland's Call. I think it's... just don't like it. Don't like yeah. it. I mean, I mean, do you not like the song? Like, do you not don't like, like the song, song or do you not yeah, like, what, like it, what it signifies? No, I just don't like the song. I think it's terrible. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, that's, that's, that's fair enough. Do you know the way, like, the French national anthem is class, the, the Italian national anthem is brilliant, our own national anthem is class. I understand you can't play our national anthem because it's not, like, I get that, like, you know, you're trying to include everybody. I just don't like Ireland's Call as a song. I'd never sing it. Like, I wouldn't. In I'd fairness, in silence. you've named a couple of good, good anthems there, but there aren't that many more. I mean, it's not easy to come up. There aren't many there countries. Are the, flower, the, flower Scotland, the Flower of Scotland is excellent. I think the Welsh, Welsh national, national anthem. 
It's decent. Oh, and I Jesus, like the Australian one, one even though I like the Australian one, even though Australian people give out about it. Yeah. Yeah, well, speaking of Australia, they were absolutely pathetic at the weekend. <laughs> What's going on there? I don't understand. But then I saw a thing about it. Um, the you you mentioned it here before, Stephen, about the popularity of the sport, and it's like way down. It's like mm-hmm. there was something about playing stats. It's like one point something of the population, one point something percent. Is that right? Like forty? It's behind like hockey or something mad like that. Like oh, it's could, way could, could way well down. Be. Yeah. Well, it, it's primarily based. It's, it's similar to Ireland in that it's a. Uh, its base is sort of the private schools and then its base is in sort of Sydney and Queensland to to an extent. It doesn't have a huge geographic area. Like rugby league is, is rugby league is huge in Sydney and AFL Aussie rules is massive in in Melbourne and Victoria the Victoria State. And then like AFL is huge. Um Australia's fantastic sports country but it has fallen way down. They've won two World Cups and have been in maybe two yeah. more finals. Uh and Eddie Jones, like you were looking at that Wales Australia match, and like probably two most dislikable coaches by your side. We've got Eddie Jones here. Jesus Christ, he's hard to look at. And then it pans to Warren Garton. Oh, fuck, I forgot that he was still over Wales. Like, you know. um, but no, they haven't been to a final since 2003, though, and they haven't looked like winning one in that time either. Like, they host, the sport they, they, is they falling the next apart. World Cup. They host the next World Cup, and they have the Lions there in two years' time. Well, that Lions, I don't see how that Lions is going to be anything but an embarrassment for Australia. I also don't see how the three British countries are going to get a whole lot of players on the team. I think it'd be predominantly Irish. Irish coaches, Irish players. And I'd say we'll easily win that 3-0. I'm going to make a, two, a, a prediction <laughs> two, two years out. But I think... Yeah. Ah, no, I think Australia... The, like, I don't think Eddie Jones was the answer because... no. He definitely sacrificed this World Cup to try and build something for the next one. But leaving the likes of Michael Hooper at home is a pathetic, yeah. awful yeah. decision. Yeah, he's not. He's not a bit popular. And like, ah, look, he's yesterday's man, and he's also isn't he throwing eyes at Japan? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he managed them before. His mother is Japanese, and the Japanese play pay extremely well. But you know, they're not exactly on the up either. Yeah. No, it was like I was looking forward to that game on Sunday evening and uh, you know, a straight knockout game between two traditionally good rugby countries. And Wales aren't even that great now. That was a brilliant try to score in the first couple of minutes, like and that's you're talking about new people to the sport and that and I said my young lad was watching it. And that's a thrilling type of try. Like that's the type of as they used to say on uh, the John Loma rugby, that's the type of enterprising rugby football you like to see. Just, you know, swift movement of the ball, running at pace, breaking tackles. You know, it's, it, that's, that is the exciting part of it. But Wales absolutely battered them. Uh, just go on, Alan, you had a question from a reader. Or a oh, yeah, we uh, listeners' questions. Yeah, we're, we're delighted, actually, with the, we were only talking about it earlier with the amount of people who are listening to this podcast because it was Mark's idea. And in fairness, it's, uh, it's taken off. And as somebody said, uh, they enjoy the segments where Alan knows nothing, and that's largely that's largely for most of what's going on. But uh, anyway, no, I got got a listener question in uh, for the two of you. So um, the, the question was, he was looking forward. This person was looking forward to me asking the two of you their view on non-Irish lads that have no bloodline playing for Ireland. Uh, all of the soccer lads have bloodline, um, except for Tony Cascarino. But that was an administration error, as he didn't even know he was adopted himself, which is an anomaly. 
Um, uh, he said there's no defence for rugby and if a certain soccer team were playing under 14 he'd be watching that before he'd watch this plastic Irish team in a World Cup final that's fairly um, fairly strong isn't it? Well, uh, um, thanks for your thanks for your question Richard um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd like to take the lead on that if you don't mind I'll go uh, I think that is a crock of you know what uh, yes, the Irish Irish football team has ten or twelve lads who were born in in England or Scotland or wherever. But we have a different rule. In a, it's not just we; it's all rugby countries have a different rule. You can play for a country if you've lived there and played there for five years. Is the rule now? So you have to make a far bigger commitment to Irish rugby to play for Ireland than you do for Irish football. If you want to play for Irish the Irish football team, you can have one grandparent who was born here and that's good enough. You don't have to have ever stepped foot in the country before. If you want to play for the Ireland rugby team, you have to live here and work here and play for an Irish team and contribute to the Irish clubs for a minimum of five years. And it's not just Ireland that takes advantage of this. It's every single country in the world because there is a disproportionate amount of uh, countries who play the game as opposed to who are actually any good at the game. New Zealand do it, Australia do it, England, the England captain not so long ago was a Kiwi. France have players from Fiji and South Africa. Half of us, uh, Scotland's team is South African. But the only way you're going to build the sport of rugby is by having the best players play in the big, biggest and best games. And I'm very sorry, if three or four lads move from New Zealand and Australia to to Ireland and live here and work here for five years, I think they're just as entitled as anybody else to play for the country. Yeah, I think that's very, very well articulated. I, I don't particularly like the residency rule. Um, I do think it waters it down slightly, but it, like, I love the, I love the overseas players coming to play in Ireland and we have had some absolute gems over the year which really broaden its appeal then again. Like, you think of it, you know, something like, Again, Munster, Doug Howlett, um, CJ Stander, you know, Ruin Pina and also Rocky Elson when he came to Leinster. Like Rocky Elson spent one season in Leinster. He completely transformed them in like they were watery, they were unpredictable, he couldn't rely on them. He played for one season. He was so central to them, overturning Munster initially and winning the Heineken Cup for the first time. And all these, you know, these players have added so much to the Irish game in terms of a spectacle, because they're just there's more of an X factor to them. They're just they, they definitely add something to it, and there's been there's been loads of them across the four provinces. I'm not particularly fond of the residency rule. You saw CJ Sander, who I absolutely loved as a player, and he I worked in Limerick during his career, and he was the most approachable, decent fella you could meet. And um, he was a superstar in Limerick, but was as down to earth as you could meet. And as soon as his Irish career was over, he up six and moved back to South Africa. Um, then you have guys like uh, Bundyaki. I think Bundyaki's children are Irish which a lot of the Irish soccer players can have kids and they're not Irish. You know, they wouldn't qualify to play for Ireland. Um, I've no problem I've no problem with people not liking a particular sport and even not watching it, absolutely. You know, that's per- personal preferences and all that. Like, the, look, I would watch the big soccer matches, but if Ireland were playing a European qualifier, a World Cup qualifier against Armenia or someone and St. Joseph's and Stradbury were playing in Division 1 of the league, I'd be perfectly happy to go watch Stradley and Joseph's in the league, which I think is relatively close to the equivalent of your, of your pal, uh, Richard, saying about, uh, <laughs> saying about uh, 
Man United under 14s playing in the Milk Cup or whatever. So uh, I can understand. I, I I do I do like struggle to get my head around that. Jeez, I'd rather watch Burnley and Man United than the World Cup game a little bit. But I can't understand the desire in certain elements of the social media mob wanting Ireland to be bet and taking glee in it. And Keane Tracy had a great article. Um, it's a, like I think people who dislike rugby dislike it anyway. They then use something like the residency rule as another stick to beat it with, when it isn't actually the main issue at hand at all. Um, and I think, you know, or, like if anything, there should be. I know it has its roots in elitism. There is no, there is no getting away from that. But like plastic paddies, you know, Tyg Furlong is he a plastic paddy? Is Johnny Sexton a plastic paddy? Connor Murray, Keith Earls, Peter Mahoney. It's just if you ask me, that's nearly libelous to suggest something like that. Like you know, like. Uh, I think if you consider yourself a patriot of Ireland, you should like the Irish rugby team almost more than any other because it's a one island team. And there's very few things that really unite the 32 counties outside of the GA. And rugby only, is one of those things. There's only uh, rugby, cricket, uh, hockey. Hockey. Golf. Uh, I'd say that's about it. That play athletics. You could you could say, but they have the option. They can play for, they can <laughs> compete for GB Northern Ireland or compete for Ireland. Other than that, I'd say there's very other few sports. I can't think of any sports. Maybe and, tennis. And, and I don't know. Rugby is a mainstream one. It's one mm. that is on TV at eight o'clock on a Saturday night and gets one point two million people watching it. If the Irish cricket team were playing at eight o'clock on a Saturday night, I don't think it'd be one point two million people. Even though we love a bandwagon, if we do, yeah. Game, but do you see? Rugby, okay, I know some of the rules can be difficult to understand, but the overall concept of the game is easy enough, you know. Um, but I think, like, I, I, I don't get that. I think we brought it up every week. Um, and th- th- if anything, Irish rugby, you have to look at it and say, hold on a second, like, I remember, like, I don't consider myself old, but I remember when Irish rugby was absolutely dire. Like, they were finishing mm-hmm. bottom of the five, the five yeah, nations. the wooden spoon, season. yeah. Every single year, they went, I don't know how many years without winning in Paris, for example. They used to be bet by 40 points by England. Mm. You know, this was, uh, and this was going on for, for generations. And it was the occasional decent spots, they won two triple crowns in the 80s. And then there'd be the odd, like, the odd scalp over England or something. There might be. Um, but, like, within 20 years, Irish rugby has transformed into a fully functional professional sport in Ireland. I remember the early days of, like, the, I think it was called the Celtic League when it started first. And you'd go down, I was living in in college in Dublin, and uh, you'd go, I remember going a couple of Friday nights, you'd say, you'd be down some Fridays, or you'd, you'd, you'd be, come home most weekends, but it'd be on Friday, you'd be up. And I remember going to see Leinster playing in Donnybrook in the early days of the Celtic League, and Heesip was playing, and Rob Carney was playing, and you know, there was probably a couple of thousand at it, and you're thinking, Janey, like, there really is something in this. Like, there is, you know, Dublin is a cool city. And to have professional sport of a decent standard on a on a on a on a Friday night is class. And mm. like to manage to build the structure, I know the schools are feeding into it. Build the structure where you have a professional sport, four teams, and able to keep all the top players in in this country dotted around you know four or five different cities. Essentially, if anything, rugby is a model that so many countries and so many sports could follow. I, I was watching uh, the breakdown the other day, which is an Australian rugby show, or sorry, a New Zealand rugby show, and they were talking about the three New Zealand-born guys who are now playing for Ireland: Gibson Park, James Lowe, and Bundyaki. Bundyaki and James Lowe would walk into any team in the world. 
Bundyaki's the best inside centre playing rugby right now. Their point was, how can they better identify players who who are going to get away and go to countries like Ireland or England? And why are they being trained and coached so much better in Ireland than they were even in New Zealand? I think that's testament to the coaching that we have. And like you said, Stephen, about keeping the top level players here in Ireland. It, it is the only sport. It doesn't happen in golf. It doesn't happen in football where the best of the best stay here, play here. And you, like you said, you can go to a big elite European game every weekend. There's a proper professional league here. I wouldn't have a bad word said against it. But there is a lot of hatred out there towards rugby. And it's only going to get worse. If Ireland, if Ireland actually, there will be people, there are people waiting for Ireland to be bet to start the yeah. year and, you know, and they're absolutely rotten. And I don't know what, what they'll do if Ireland actually win it. You have that in every sport. Sure. It's the same with the with the soccer. Like there's teams, there's people out there delighted that the Irish team is going badly because they hate Stephen Kenny. So they just can't wait yeah, for uh, him yeah, to eventually be sacked. That's, that's a part. I know it's personality. It's that's not, a personality. It's not a, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's 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 just the same with my United. There's people uh, love it when United are beaten. Are United fans because they want Eric Ten Hag sacked and Ronaldo brought back and all this mad stuff. People are crazy. Like there's there's no point in trying to. <laughs> <laughs> trying to trying to uh, decide with with them, but uh, yeah, look, I I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't waste too much time worrying about them. It'll it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. Obviously, there's no Ireland game this week, so they have a a free week. And you know the most thing I found the most interesting of all of it, um, the, the boys out drinking the the wine. Is that Connor Murray and Peter Oma and me? Is it? Yes, it was. Yeah, um, they all had a couple of beers in the dressing room after the game. And they're on a, a few days off now, and I, I think it's I think it's excellent. Um, yeah. It's certainly a break from a break from the monotony and the strict ways that Joe Schmidt ran the team. Um, they oh, look, that's not been they allowed under him. Oh no, no, no! He was a very strict taskmaster. He was he was a principal in New Zealand before he started coaching in France, and then coached Leinster and took over Ireland and. I, I've heard players like Peter O'Mahony talking about having a knot in their stomach just driving up to Carton House for training, let alone for the matches. Um, now, yeah, we were super successful, but they're playing a better brand of rugby now. They're even more successful now, and they're all playing with a smile on their face, and that's priceless. Yeah, just in terms of the Irish, this applies to soccer as well as rugby, but like Irish sports people eventually get fed up of every manager or coach. That just happens. Like, um, like Martin O'Neill was a great appointment, couldn't wait to get rid of him. Trapatoni was a big appointment, couldn't wait to get rid of him. This happened. Stephen Kenny, sure, like Stephen Kenny, you know, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. Um, you know, stick with the process and all that. Now can't can't wait to be got rid of again. And it happens. It happens in rugby. Joe Schmidt, Eddie O'Sullivan, Declan Kidney. They all like I mentioned Ireland in the nineties and how bad they were. But like I think every Irish coach of the professional era has improved the setup before being. Fed, you know, before being more or less turfed out, Murray Kidd, Warren Gatland, um, you're on to Eddie O'Sullivan, Declan Kidney, uh, Joe Schmidt, and now Andy Farrell have all taken it on a level. They've all improved it from where they got it, which is fair going. But the, the stick will be used again if they lose the quarter final um, and, and don't progress any further. And it's a real risk, like, it's a real. Um, if, like, if they win, if they win it. Um, do they will they end up playing Wales or somebody? Is that am I right in saying that? Wales or probably Argentina, Japan. You wouldn't know. 
Um, but yeah, the, if they if they do come come up against New Zealand and beat New Zealand, they'll most likely play Wales or Argentina in the semi final. Yeah, it seems to be some opportunity. They'll surely never get a better chance to get to a final. No, either of those teams would be a banana skin, but we are far better, far better yeah. than either of those teams. But getting past New Zealand is going to be as mm. tough a match as you could ever hope for. Like, it'll be yeah. just as tough, if not tougher, than South Africa. Especially because this is a New Zealand team that nobody gonna, rates. Yeah, the difference is the, the, the New Zealanders actually have a lad that can kick the ball as well. So that's, that's another, another, uh, another difference. Isn't that wonderful? Because, oh, geez, you can't be as bad as them lads the other night. I couldn't believe it. Was that. No, you were saying I didn't, I did watch the game. I did the opposite to you. I had the United on the telly and I had the, the rugby on the, on the, uh, on the iPad in front of me. I couldn't believe it, the amount of kicks that they missed. It was, and they seem to be getting worse. There's some lad with shaggy hair. Who was he? He was dreadful. That's Faf de Klerk. That was Faf de Klerk. If, he, that was if, if he was kicking in the, in the AFL, he wouldn't even get one point. He was so far wide with one of his shots. It was, it was, it was, it was shocking stuff. And they went through, did they go through two or three different lads kicking the ball? Two, anyway. Two different kickers, but they'll, yeah. they'll have, they'll have, uh, Andre Pollard back for who are they playing? Tonga. And he'll be back for the quarterfinals, but he's definitely not as good a player as the guy who was kicking, Manny Libok. I mean, Libok adds stuff to the team that Pollard definitely won't. And I'm not sure if it's worth the three, six, nine points that Pollard will add to the team. Because I don't think Pollard would have been able to pull that pass off out wide uh, for Colby for the, the try. Um, it's a game of fine margin. But it definitely place kicking becomes more important the longer it goes on, though, because the proportion of scores in knockout games that come from penalties greatly increases. Um, but like some of those kicks, like just two of them were in their own half. You know, that's mm. they're not they're, they're low percentage kicks, really. Now there was one, the one that was like close enough to the left hand side of the post. One of the convert the conversion and one of the penalties uh, were were kickable. But I don't think there was. I don't think all eleven points that they left behind were gimmies or anything. Um, five of them, yes. You really, but you can't really say that they left them behind either, because one of the clerks' kicks hit the post, and from exactly. the rebound, they scored the try. Yeah. So you know that's a net gain of two points off those missed three. And yeah, and we missed our first six lineouts. That is that is an astoundingly bad number. And we it's could also, have easily scored two, three tries off that. So I think we left more points out there than they did. If anything, they also, were only lose by five points. It's which also I a red flag, though, that, that the line-out issue. But we'll worry about that at a later date. But I think it, that, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is shaped up. If the pool winners get through the quarterfinals, you're looking at uh, semi-finals of Ireland versus Wales and England versus France. Do you, think, think, England, Wales, Matt, do you think England beat Fiji in the quarterfinals? I don't. Uh, I think they would in a World Cup knockout game. I think they would. I'd back England all day long. No, I, I, I think yeah. I, I think that's a step too far for England. England are very lucky to be in the worst Rugby World Cup group ever assembled. <laughs> They're blessed. Um, the, the semi-final of Ireland gets to the Friday night. That'd be a great old TV occasion. And the, the, the final is the 28th, is it? The final is the 28th. That's Saturday. That. Oh, yeah. it, it is a good competition in the sense that it goes on for so long so like you can kind of dip in and dip out of it like, I was giving out that there was a match done all the time and I, di- I didn't even know there was a game on 
last night. It was only my, uh, Mark, Mark texted me saying that uh, uh, Uruguay were playing Namibia. Um, so I, I suppose it is good just in that sense. Just give you a chance to catch up on me on the fantasy team. That was all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I am in absentia on that one. I'm going to have to leave it. I go do the old school run. Right, you go do the school run. We'll just uh, talk a bit about the local rugby, Mark, before, uh, before we go. We'll, yeah, we'll see Stephen there next week. Take it easy, Stephen. Um, I'll I'll talk about your beloved Port Leash rugby now for a couple of minutes. Um, <laughs> Port Leash got a, a got off to a great start to the season last week. They won. Uh, they beat Midland Warriors away from home up in Westmeath, and Midland Warriors are down in Leash this Sunday to play against Port Arlington. Uh, I was at Port Arlington's game last week in an absolute storm in Burr, but they got the job done. Uh, Owen Worrell with a couple of lovely tries and Jack Hennessy got the third one. Um, Portleach are playing Clane this week and they'll be looking to win that one. So if Portleach and Port Arlington could pick up a win each this week, they'd be well placed for their next game, which happens to be against one another in two weeks' time, which is a game I can't wait for. The rugby um, normally goes um, every two weeks, doesn't it? They don't play week on week, or am I wrong in saying that? They don't play every week, but it's not exactly week on, week off either. It's okay. It's more like play two, take a week off, play two, take a week off, kind of a... It's a bit haphazard, yeah. but they do need a bit of a break. Ah, yeah, well, it's so attritional, like you could understand. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to play every week anyway, definitely not. Uh, it was the um, was the injury to the Ananok goalkeeper. Was that rugby related? No, no, no. no. I remember last season Stephen was very worried that <laughs> there might have been a rugby, a rugby reason for him being without a goalkeeper. Um, no. Yeah, we have the women's rugby then. The Port Dara Falcons. Uh, they lost their opening game, which was a surprise last week uh, against New Ross, and they're away to Wicklow this Sunday. And Port Leash ladies, they have had to concede their first two games of the season. And I was talking to somebody the other day. She's not overly hopeful that they'll have a game for this weekend either. So hopefully they can get a few numbers. They brought in a new coach last year from South Africa. Yes. There was hope that, yeah, there was hope yeah. that that would kind of build things. But it's disappointing to see, especially with Port Dara doing so well the last three, four years. It'd be great if Port Leash could um, could build on that as well. But it's not looking good at the moment. And they had risen up through, I was recovering them a good bit, they had risen up through the, the divisions, uh, I can't remember what one they were in most recently, but they had they definitely won one and all that. And they produced, like we have to give a mention to Emer Corrie, who was called into the Ireland squad for the for the first time ever. Um, and yeah, make big her debut next month. There. Yeah, massive achievement. Um, they're off playing some mad teams and some mad competition. <laughs> I was looking at the, the fixtures. Yeah, that's a new... That's a new competition, uh, the women's 15s. Yeah. The women's teams need more rugby, so this is, about, it's, you know, it's going to be a good thing, I hope. Yeah, so so they're gone there, um, and Leah Tarpey's been called up again. She had she made her debut the last time she met, she's been capped twice now. So the two of them are there, and, and like Emer would have came through Portation and then went on up to, oh, maybe Clontarf. Blackrock. Blackrock, there you go. Yeah, and, and yeah. won the AL up there, so. Um, she, and played I see... with, uh, she played with Emma Hoobin up in Blackrock. Now, she hasn't made yeah. the last few Ireland squads. Hopefully, she'll get back in in the future. But Leah Tarpey definitely want to watch as well. Yeah, and I see that um, former Meath 
ladies, I'm not to call her that now, uh, star Vicky Wall, uh, signed a contract with the IRFU today, uh, to go play sevens, uh, rugby. And the plan is to get her up to speed to play at the Olympics. So, um, that's obviously the, the game must be moving that way with women anyway. It seems to be that, that the, because the, the Irish women's team have gone down a good bit. In yeah, years. it definitely does seem more popular in women's for the sevens rugby, but Ireland are very good, I have to say, in both men's and women's, mm. but particularly in the women's where they're not overly strong in the 15s game. The sevens does offer something a bit different. It's less attritional. It's more fitness and running based. Uh, sevens rugby, so that might suit them better. I don't know. Do they play that on a full size pitch? They do, which that takes incredible good. fitness. <laughs> yeah, there's been no props in that one. There must be all like, <laughs> must be all like centers or wingers or something, are they? Like, yeah, they're normally they're normally backs. Yeah, that's why it's yeah. very rare. If you get somebody good enough to play sevens who's a big unit, they normally do really well in fifteens. 15s, yeah, you'd, you'd have to imagine so. Um, I think we've covered everything. Is that's that's it? Yeah. That's for yeah, this weekend they're obviously downtime for Ireland, but there are just quickly there are some uh, fairly pivotal games like Italy. Do they have any chance against New Zealand? I would love them to beat New Zealand, but I can't see it in a million years. Um, I will have I will have an Italian or two in my fantasy team on the off chance, but. No, I'd be I'd be fancying New Zealand there to win that by fifteen twenty points. Uh, that's on Friday beat. evening at eight o'clock. Argentina yeah. Chile Saturday afternoon, first ever South American derby in Rugby World Cup history. Again, Argentina yeah. should win that, but you don't know. They've been poor and Chile have been good. Yeah, uh, Fiji, Fiji Georgia. Georgia. I think they will. Georgia have been poor. Fiji have been excellent. Uh, a routine win on Saturday evening for Scotland against Romania. A routine win on Sunday evening, uh, South Africa against Tonga. And is there any chance Portugal could upset Australia? I hope so. I don't see it, but <laughs> you never know. Even if they give them a scare with 20 minutes to go. And I saw something there the other day about them. Um, and this was in a soccer context that they should take the bottom 32 teams in the world and give them their own World Cup. And all of a sudden, yeah, somebody like I saw that, actually. San Marino or Liechtenstein become favourites for something. Um, and I just wondered, like, you know, all those other teams, Romania's, Portugal, we're running out of time here now, but did they, did they play their own competition outside of the Six Nations and the uh, Rugby World Championship or whatever you call it? Did they they play do, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a, uh, an American tournament and there's a secondary tournament to the Six Nations in Europe, but that doesn't really give them much of a chance to build. No, you know, I think they need to be playing the bigger and better teams to improve instead of just playing against one another. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a bit like but the, that's the, a that's a conversation for a whole other day. I think we yeah, can leave we, it. We might talk about we might talk about that next week, maybe when uh, we've no Ireland match to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for joining me, Alan, and hopefully everything calms down with the controversy over the next couple of weeks. But I doubt it. Okay, take take care. The Leash Today Talking Sport Podcast, brought to you in association with Booth Concrete. Booth Concrete provide high-quality concrete products to Leash and the surrounding counties. Thinking concrete, think Booth Concrete. When quality matters.